Good morning. Uh, this week's scripture is from First Peter chapters one, verses seventeen through twenty-three. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth that you have sincerely loved for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. May God bless the reading and hearing of you. Good morning. Well, thank you. I thank you, Yulia. It's our anniversary, 35 years. Um, and I want to thank Lily for doing a great job filling in for me last week. I, she did an awesome job. So you'll be on my list. So, and I also know why we moved the choir to after me, because when we have things like Cindy before me, that's hard shoes to step into. I'm sorry, you did an amazing job, and now what I have is kind of like, anyway, anyway, we're going to talk anyway. Um, I, there were a couple of different directions I wanted to go this week, but I kept coming back to a couple of verses in what Mark read this morning. Um, the ones where it says, um, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply. We purify ourselves. Hmm. How do we purify ourselves? First of all, what does pure mean? What is it? Clean, unadulterated. Are we that? Hmm, that's a tough question, right? It says we are because we believe and obey. Hmm. I believe and I obey, but I'm not sure I'm pure all the time. And I know that there are lots of things that claim to be pure. Mm. Are they? When I was growing up, we had ivory soap. Anybody remember ivory soap? Was supposed to be 100% pure, right? 99, yeah, 99.44. It's not pure, but it says that it's for pure cleaning, right? So if we take ivory soap and we scrub ourselves with it, that makes us pure? Sure. Well, it makes us clean, <laughs> but does it make us pure? No. We can scrub all we want. 
but it's not the outside that's dirty. And it says in here that we, op- we purify ourselves by obeying the truth. And that's really what it's all about. There's only one person who's pure. God, right. And God has given us grace and love that's 100% pure. So even when we kind of aren't 100% pure, God's grace and love are covering us and taking away that 0.6% that's not clean, not pure, and making us pure by obeying him and following what he tells us. He makes us pure. So all the scrubbing in the world with 99.44% pure isn't going to help. Yeah, it'll make us nicer to be around. We won't smell bad. We won't look dirty. But it's what's inside, and it's the obeying of what God has given us. We know that Jesus died to wash away all of that impurity. It's gone. Does that mean we're never going to do something wrong or bad or say something or think something? Of course not. We're human. We're not perfect, but God's grace and God's love is 100% pure, 100% perfect, and it's going to take care of all of those things. So we thank God for that, and we thank Jesus for paying the price with his blood. And Cindy's song was perfect. Fill us with that grace. Fill us with that love. Fill us with all that you are and make us pure so that we can truly follow and obey you, Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus, that he was willing to go to the cross and die for us so that we could be pure in your eyes. Help us to be as pure as we can, following and obeying your laws and your word and Jesus' example. But help us to remember that it's only by your grace and your love that we are made pure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that that we just sang. Thank you, Lord, that you are Lord of all. And you are a good Lord. You are a gracious Lord. You are a Lord who not only rules, but actually loves us. We pray that we will um, sense that more and more as we examine your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is not how I was planning to start this sermon, but while I was driving in here, I was thinking about this. When I was in college, I used to sing in a gospel choir, so we sang um, really great music, (laughs) um, black gospel music, for lack of a better term. It was fantastic, and we would go on these tours together, and one year, we went down south, and that was the year of the storm of the century. I don't know how many of you remember that. And there was this crazy snowstorm all up and down the eastern seaboard, including down south, where they're not equipped to drive, do anything with, when it snows. Um, so we ended up having a lot of our concerts, ca- <coughs> excuse me, canceled. 
one night we were supposed to sing in a church in Mississippi, and we made it, but nobody else could. And so we slept at the church, but before that we had this kind of impromptu Bible study praise party. It was great. And our choir director's husband, Calvin, um, started this sort of preaching Bible study thing, and he just kept saying over and over again, he was using Psalm 107, but he kept saying, speak well of God, speak well of God. And I feel like that's a really good reminder. Every once in a while when I'm going through stuff, I remember Calvin, who is no longer with us in this life, I remember him saying, speak well of God. Speaking well of God does a whole lot for your frame of mind and for how you can operate in the world. And I think this is what's great about the fact that Easter or the Resurrection Sunday is actually a whole season and not just one day. We're going to spend this entire season up until Pentecost, which is also worth celebrating, um, speaking well of God. So today's sermon title is a little bit contrived. Sometimes that happens when you're trying to keep to a theme. Um, and so I called it good graciousness, which isn't really a phrase. It's not even really a word. I don't think we could just say grace. We don't need to say graciousness, but I was trying to, I don't know. I don't know what I was trying to do. Anyway, good gracious is a phrase, right? But it's a really old-fashioned one. Does anybody here say this? Oh, good. Because I think I do, maybe. I don't know, do I? Um, but I think I'm sort of trying to be funny when I say it. What makes you say good gracious? Okay, startling things, surprising. Yeah? Okay, I was thinking that it was maybe a little bit negative, but I kind of like hearing that it maybe is something positive. Um, I think the message of Easter, the message of the resurrection, is for sure surprising. Um, and... If there's something good happening and you say, good gracious, because it startled you, that's awesome. Um, I've, I, I think I've heard it used more in a like an unpleasant surprise or maybe a little tinge of outrage. Good gracious. <laughs> I mean, maybe there would be some other words you might say if, if there was a house fire. But, um, but yeah. But making that a negative phrase is kind of silly because grace is not negative. What is grace? It's a gift. Undeserved. It is unmerited favor. So sometimes I hear people say, I know I need to forgive that person. I know they, I know they need grace, but they don't deserve it. And I'm always like, that's the point. <laughs> um, grace is not deserved, but it is good. It is favor. So today we're going to talk a little bit about some of the ways that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection offer us grace. The obvious one is they offer us the forgiveness of our sins. We know this. This is foundational to the good news or the gospel message. But there are some other ways that that plays out. 
And so we're going to talk about some of the ones that Peter describes in his letter, which Kathleen kind of introduced us to last week. Um, does anyone remember what any of the things that Kathleen said about Peter and his writing of this letter? Why did he write it, or who did he write it to? Brenda's just checking her notes. Yeah, go ahead, Glory. Yes, he wrote it to the diaspora, which is a big fancy word that means Yes, right. So diaspora means spread out, essentially, and there are lots of groups of people that can be referred to as a diaspora when the Jews went into exile in the Old Testament. Um, the, many of them remained in the countries outside of Israel, and so those are, they are known as the diaspora, but the Christian diaspora was similar. Um, the Christians who didn't, who weren't in Jerusalem and the places where Christ and Christianity originated, um, and so they were all over, in this case, they were all over Asia Minor. And some of them were Jewish background, and some of them were Gentile background, but they were all Christians, they were all followers of Jesus. But whether they were Jewish background or Gentile background, they were all within a Gentile culture. So that's the surrounding culture that they're in, and this is who Peter is writing to. Um, Kathleen also talked about thinking well about the good news that we have and that we have to live and share in such a way that the culture around us, even though it's different from us, can hear and see and understand and receive that this is good news, as opposed to, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, good news that doesn't sound like good news at all. Um, so we do need to be able to communicate our good news so that the culture around us understands, oh yeah, it's actually good news. But turns out, from today's passage, that does not mean that we just try to blend in with the culture. Peter says in verse 17, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. As foreigners here kind of means everybody, wherever you are. Um, in this world, in this life, before Jesus returns, live like you're a foreigner. Once we have been made part of the family of God, we are, in verse 18, Peter says, redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. We're going to talk more about that in a second, but has any, have any of you ever been a foreigner somewhere? Someone want to describe one? Okay, non-native. Right. <laughs> we went to Montreal on our honeymoon, and um, we were both foreigners, but I had learned a little bit of French in high school and college, and so I was able to get by. Some of the people there, most of the people there could speak English, but some of them couldn't, and so I had to somehow be a go-between, but it, it kind of sets you off kilter a little bit, right? If you're in a space that you're not from and the culture's a little different, and sometimes the more similar your language is, the harder the culture shock is because you 
assumed that everything, you speak the same language, so everything's going to be the same, and it isn't. I found that when I lived in the UK. Um, it's English, but it doesn't sound like this English, especially in the east end of London. And uh, a lot of the understandings of things were really different. And so living as a foreigner, you have to do a few things. If you're going to do it well, you have to do a little bit of research on the culture you're moving to. If you're going to live there, you have to figure out, okay, what, what are the things that people value in this culture, and what are the ways that they understand things. And if they, have, if they use the same words, but they mean something totally different, probably a good idea to find that out. Um, you can get in some really awkward situations if you don't do that. If you want to... Uh, be, if you want to fit in well, it, not become those people, but if you want to interact well with the people that you're going to be living with, you need to learn to respect them. Maybe you don't agree with all the things about their culture or all the things that they think, but you want to have a respectful attitude so that you can communicate well, right? So this is kind of what Peter is saying. Once we have been made part of the family of God, we are automatically foreigners because... God's authority and God's way of doing things and God's way of thinking and God's way of loving people is different than basically anywhere you could go in the whole world. So we are automatically foreigners. We need to live like it. We need to respect the people that we're living among. We need to communicate well. We need to love them. But we don't need to become them because... Jesus has redeemed us from the empty way of life handed down to us from our ancestors. This can be challenging news for us. And sometimes it might not even feel like good news because, well, we've already talked about this before. Families are complicated, right? You might have a very difficult family situation and still, if someone comes at you about your family, most people are going to defend their family. Even if there's some really difficult interactions and maybe there's some rifts. You still don't want someone else talking bad about your family. Many, probably most of us have things in our family histories or maybe even our family present that cause us pain, but we would stand up for our family if it was challenged. And Peter is telling his readers, both from Jewish and Gentile backgrounds, that those very backgrounds, no matter how functional, no matter how noble, are, without Jesus, empty ways of life. In comparison to the good news living that Jesus came to establish. So he's not really saying you need to hate your family, the way Jesus actually says, <laughs> challengingly, in some of the Gospels. Um, but he is saying in comparison to what you get in God's family, your heritage is an empty way of life. And that's not where your identity is found anymore. It influences who you are for sure. But that's not the core of who you are. The core of who you are now is God's family, Jesus. So, pay attention to the culture or cultures that around you so that you can communicate God's grace well in them, but live in them as if you're foreigners. And then he gives us a couple reasons why. First he says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. I was trying to figure out why he says that. It doesn't make sense. Live as foreigners since you call on a father who judges each work impartially. Do those two 
phrases have anything to do with each other? Doesn't seem like it. But I do think there is a connection. Human parents, human authorities, no matter how well-intentioned we are, how well we try, we don't have an impartial perspective. We don't. We cannot. And false gods, which we've talked about before, the spiritual forces that oppose God, that, that exist but oppose God, and that people have worshipped in other times and places, those false gods for sure are not impartial. But our Father, our authority now, as members of the family of Christ, our Father judges fairly. This is a foreign concept. You're not going to find any family, any nation, any organization, anywhere on this planet that has a completely impartial, objective perspective on anything. Only God. So that's a foreign concept. By default, as soon as we enter the family of God, we have a father who judges impartially. That's different from everywhere else. The other reason he says to live as foreigners is it was not with perishable things that you were redeemed. So even though we pass down both good and bad family patterns, whether we have our own biological children or not, we do this as we interact with people. At the end of all things, those patterns are perishable. In some ways, that's praise the Lord, thank God. <laughs> In other things, there are some great things that we've passed down that, you know, we, we don't want those things to be perishable. But those things, no matter how good, and maybe in some way God saves and redeems those good things, but we were not redeemed by them. We have never been, will never be, are not restored to relationship with God through our families or our ethnicity or our nationhood. We were redeemed, as Peter says in verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This is an expression of God's good grace. All of our families, all of our heritage, all of our nations have carried on a line of sin and rebellion since the beginning of time, since human beings were created and decided to try to be God instead of bearing God's image in communion with God. We have inherited an empty way of life, and we have perpetuated this empty way of life. Because you can't have a full way of life if you're disconnected from the author of life. The grace of God is that Jesus saved us from our sin-saturated heritage because even though Jesus was human, he was a lamb without blemish or defect. He did not receive the inherited rebellion and emptiness. He stopped it. It does not get passed down to us anymore when we are his redeemed family members. We've talked about this before, this little sci-fi idea that I have about a DNA transplant. Um, <laughs> he stops the DNA from before and gives us new DNA by the Holy Spirit, and we don't have that inheritance anymore. We can be grateful 
for things about our family and our nations, but by the grace of God, we no longer have to cover up their sins or get defensive about them or perpetuate sinful patterns because God has delivered us from them and their empty ways. This is grace. As Peter says in verse 23, we have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. The grace of God is that Jesus has made us eternal beings. This is a bigger conversation, but I'm going to just put this out here. We get eternal life, we get immortality at all, by being born into God's life through Jesus. Christians like Sky Jatani and Michael F. Heiser show us how the Bible indicates that when humans chose to try to be God on our own terms, we forfeited our immortality. When God said, you will surely die, we suddenly became mortals. Only through being reconciled to the author of life do we have hope of living forever. In verse 20, Peter says, he, meaning Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit already knew a plan was necessary to redeem the divine image bearers, even before we were made, even before we sinned, before we rebelled or messed up or any of those things. He knew that a plan was going to be necessary to redeem us. And it is grace that God gives us back our immortality in Christ, and it is grace that our threefold God took this into account. He knew what we were going to do, and he said, okay, this is what's going to happen. If I make them in my image and I give them free will, this is what they're going to choose, and so I'm going to come up with a plan so we can get back together. And it is grace that this plan, God giving himself up in the life and death of Jesus, was revealed first to the people of Jesus' own day and then down to spiritually reborn people through the ages. In verse 21, Peter says, through him, through Jesus, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. For some reason, this verse really struck me this week. The pagan, the pagan background, Gentile Christians, had not met the one true God before. The Jewish background Christians already believed in the one true God, and their scripture points to Jesus from start to finish, but... Regardless of their background, it took and still takes meeting Jesus himself to really know what God is like. Sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, there's all these different religions, but it's all the same God. And then you have other people who argue and say, it's not the same God. My take is, well, there are false spirits that try to pose as gods. But I do think that there are a number of religions that worship the one true God, but they don't really know him because Jesus came to show us what God is like. Jesus came to show us who God is. There are also religions or philosophies that will say, well, God is so big, he's totally unknowable. You can't fully ever know 100% of God, and if you could... He probably wouldn't be God, because I'm not that smart. Are you? Like, do you want a God that you can completely figure out? 
That seems really unsatisfying to me. But God in Jesus Christ, God is a relational God, and so we actually can know him. We can't know all of him, but we can know him. We can know what he wants us to know because he made us in his image and he shows us through Jesus. Jesus is the only one who shows us who God really is. So, I feel like sometimes, because of this, it's all the same God idea, which kind of gets into our minds, I think, if, even if we're not really conscious of it, um, we think that we believe in Jesus because we already believe in God. But here, Peter is saying we believe in God through Jesus. Because Jesus is how we actually know God. We believe in the one true God through Jesus. Jesus shows us God, and God raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him, and because of that, our faith and hope in Jesus translates into faith and hope in God. I don't know, I think it's cool. <laughs> it is grace that God came to us as a human so that we could actually get to know him and trust him in a real way. Not some abstract way, not some, oh man, I hope there's something out there that kind of cares, in a real way. And God's grace is poured out to us and through us. Because we have received the grace to know and trust God through Jesus, and we have him as an example for living, we have also received grace to live like him. In verse 22, this is the verse Barb was talking about, it says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Does this sound like Peter saying, we have purified ourselves by our obedience? I mean, that's kind of what it says. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, but that's not what grace is, right? We don't earn our grace. Are you confused? <laughs> Here's what I think he's saying. We have been purified once for all by Jesus Christ when he gave us our new spiritual DNA, to use that analogy. But we need to, like, he needs to keep taking a bath, right? We need to live in that purity, and God has given us the grace to do that. How we do it, how we practice our part in that purification, how we participate in, with God now that he has once for all purified us, is by obeying the truth. But it's really interesting what Peter indicates the tr obeying the truth means in this case. So that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Obedience that purifies is love each other sincerely from the heart. That is the obedience that Peter is talking about here. Sincere love for each other is a gift of grace, too. And sincere love for each other is also a result of the resurrection. We know that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ accomplished reconciliation. That's the good news. First reconciliation between us and God. But then... If that really happens, it has to spill out to sincere love for each other. 
I'm going to give you this one. I am assuming that you are like me in that you, even though you know that you should love everybody all the time because Jesus, God is love, you know, the Bible says that stuff, um, it's kind of hard to do sometimes. Anyone else struggle with loving people? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> True. Right. And love, let's, let's be clear here, love is more than a feeling. But even knowing that, and even knowing that you can choose to love people, even if you don't feel like loving them, um, people are challenging and sometimes annoying. I was reading some, some passages a couple months ago in my own devotions I was reading in 1 Corinthians, and there's this one passage in the translation I was reading where Paul basically says, stop annoying each other. And I was like, well, that would be nice. <laughs> like, how do we do that? So people are challenging. Sometimes I have trouble loving the people God calls me to serve. This is not so much a reflection on you or the people I work with online, and more a reflection of how much I still need to be sanctified or purified. At, but at least two times, here's my testimony, at least two times in my past, I have experienced an interaction with someone where when we started out interacting, I did not feel like I loved them. And by the time the interaction was over, God had done something in me so that I knew that I did. And it wasn't feelings exactly, but it was like, oh. It was like God kind of downloaded his love for that person into me. It was awesome. Trying to love each other without Jesus' help, trying to obey the truth by loving each other, but doing it ourselves? I'm going to say almost always, if not always, turns into an insincere love. And that insincere love can sometimes be super damaging because you might say, I love you to the person because you're trying so hard, but, you're actually, but you actually really don't. And it can cause super damaging rifts, and I, I see it with people that I work with online all the time. Um, but with Jesus, through Jesus, God gives us grace to love each other sincerely from our hearts. And this is the point of all grace. It was never for us alone. It was never supposed to be just me and Jesus. Jesus gave me grace, and now I'm good with God, and all the rest of you figure it out. Um, it was always so we could be a community of God and share his grace with each other first and then with the world around us. In the beginning, when God declared everything good, he told the man and the woman to be fruitful and multiply. And humans having babies is still a great good, but not everybody can do that or will do that. But all of God's family members can be fruitful and multiply the grace we have received. Good gracious. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for putting us into a family that has an impartial father who loves us. It's cool that you can love us and be impartial at the same time. Lord, we pray that you will download more and more of your love into our hearts so that we will know how much we are loved and we will feel 
free and secure, to love each other sincerely from the heart, and in so doing, to purify ourselves in the purity that Jesus fought for us. We ask this in his name. Amen.